Hey everybody, this is Corey Russell, and I'm so glad that you're tuning in for this newest podcast. In this last week's message, I preached on part one called Awakening the Grown for Israel. The Lord over the last month has really begun to make three mandates clear for our house. Israel, the women and their role in this hour, and the nations. And in this message, I walk from Genesis into the New Testament, laying forth the covenants and God's heart for redemption for the whole earth, the mystery of Israel and the church, as well as all the things the Lord's doing in this hour. I promise you, you're going to be blessed, encouraged, and provoked. Let's go. Thank you. Good morning, everybody. So good to see you guys. It's an honor to be with you. How many uh, first-time visitors do we have today? Come on, man. Welcome, you guys. It's an honor to have you here with us. And I just want to thank the worship team. That was beautiful. My goodness. Just could feel that, you know, when we began to sing that reality about the Father and the Son, that's that ancient reality begins to awaken on the inside of me. Um, I, I, I want to just one welcome you. My name is Corey Russell and I'm one of the teaching voices here in the Upper Room family. And I uh, want to just one give you guys a couple of announcements. One reiterate some of the things that Michael said last week, our founding pastor, about a new building. Come on somebody. <laughs> yes. So we put down earnest money on a building south of town. And, you know, we are just, this has been something in our heart. I believe it's significant with the season that we're moving into. It's going to enlarge our footprint both here in the city and across the earth. And just pray with us. We need these parking leases to release. And uh, just literally say those powerful 10-second prayers. God, release the parking leases in the name of Jesus. And then, so, you know, there'll be more announcements coming over the next weeks and months. And so you guys stay, you know, connected with us in that. Really excited. I feel like we are in a new season. We are crossing into a new season. Can you feel it? I can too. And that's why we just can't get off of it. You know, Michael's referenced it several times. I talked about it. I believe that that, uh, that time we had together about a month ago, you know, on, uh, I think it was 221, February 21st, 22nd, somewhere in there, where we had the Holy Spirit just invade our Sunday morning. Where we had about seven represented streams here in the house, and we went into one of those four-hour services of just the, the presence of God moved so strong. We entered into that time. Remember what Lou Engle was here. And we kicked it off with crying out for uh, Israel and, and women and the nations. And the Lord really has, I, I believe we crossed over into a new season at, the, uh, at that gathering. And I have just been so stirred and awakened. And uh, the Lord's put these three mandates on us as a house. You know, women, which we love women. Hallelujah. And championing women the voice of God, the leadership that's in them. Michael spoke last week on warring women and wailing women. Come on, where are my wailing women at? Come on, somebody. <laughs> Those Jeremiah 9 wailing women that would come to the forefront, I, I believe, as prophetic midwives to birth all of us into the next season in God. <laughs> Got a handful of them right here. So... <laughs> I'm grateful, man. Women taught me how to pray. And so they just get it, guys. They just get it. And they're going to teach us. And our deliverance is found in their intercession. Our deliverance is in their intercession. And so that's who taught me to pray. I got saved in 97. And I kid you not, I spent the first two years of my salvation hanging out with two 50-year-old women and one 80-year-old woman. And those girls taught me how to pray. They go, you don't need your favorite song on before you start praying. You got the Holy Ghost in the Bible. And they taught me how to pray. And, I'm, and, I, and, and we have crossed over and, and we're going to see the emergence of the voice of women in our midst and in this movement arise like no other time. Really excited. And 
I loved what Michael said. When God releases an explosion like he did a month ago, it's, it's inaugurating a new season and we're going to see this thing play out over the next 10, 20, and 30 years. And so the Lord will release something and then it just expounds as the Lord gives revelation to it. And so that's why we're excited about that. Number two, the nations. The Lord, we had YWAM with us. We had the circuit riders with us. And, and, and on that Sunday, and I believe that, I've been saying it for a while, but I believe that God wants to take that theme and make it go global. His presence transforming lives morning, noon, and night. And I believe that we're about to see praying churches erupt across the earth like no other time. I've been saying it this way for a while, but the days of Sunday, only Christianity are over. And we're going to start seeing communities built around the presence. Communities built around ministry to God. Communities built around agreeing with God. And I, I, that's why I believe the Lord is connecting our house with the nations. And we're going to see that unfold in the next 10, 20, 30 years. This is exciting, man. So I'm 44, so I'll be 74 as this thing starts getting. Come on, somebody. I love it. I love getting connected to where we're going because it makes sense of today. Got one all right. That's right, right there. And the third thing, and this is what I want to uh, speak into. Uh, that's what I want to speak into today and then next week. And I want to talk to you about Israel and about God's purposes for Israel. And I, I want to, today's, the title of today's message is Awakening the Grown for Israel, part one. So we're going to do part one today. We'll do part two next week. But everybody say, awaken the groan. And so we're going to get there by the end of this. We're going to get to Romans 8. We're going to be talking about groaning. And that's the whole time today. I'm just hoping that God just begins to unearth some things deep within your spirit. And some of the things that even came alive on you when we were singing that today. As we begin to connect to the, to the creeds of our faith. In the same way, I believe that God wants to connect us to the ancient storyline and what he's going to be doing in these last days. See, that, that's, that, I believe it shifted because the Lord was grafting, and we'll use some of that language, but grafting upper room into a global storyline about a month ago. And it's becoming clearer and clearer to us about what this thing is about. I want to start this morning, but then we're going to go on a journey in Romans eleven twenty five, and I want to just put this up here. I'm not going to hit on this too much today, but I want you to see this verse because this would be Paul's great summary of everything he's been laying out in Romans 9 through 11. This is where we're going, but I want you to see it right here. Paul's going to start, and I just want to say to you before I get into this, Israel, the subject of Israel is the deepest and dearest thing in the heart of God. And, and we're on a journey. We're all in a journey. 10, 20, 30 years, and some of you are like, I don't get it. It's okay. It's okay, but we're going to go on a journey because to love Jesus is to love Israel. And I don't honestly love Israel for just Israel's sake. All right? I don't just love Israel for Israel's sake. I wish I did more. But it's kind of like, how do I just connect with some Middle East country over there? And why is it important? I've, have, I am falling in love with God's purposes for Israel because I've fallen in love with the God of Israel. And I'm falling in love with Jesus. And as you get closer to Jesus, he's going to share with you the things that are on his heart. He's going to bring you into the deepest things of his heart. And the deepest and dearest things of Jesus's heart is the salvation of his brothers. Is the salvation of his flesh and bone. And God has bringing to, God is just glorious as he's bringing forth a glorious storyline in all the earth, in the eyes of all the nations of how he's going to take a church that's mostly in a Laodicean spirit right now. And he's going to deliver us from the Laodicean spirit, which is compromise and apathy and dullness and boredom. He's going to deliver us from the American Christianity 
where it's Gentile Jesus wanting me and my four to be happy and get a little bit more stuff. And he is delivering us from the American dream and he's connecting us to the heavenly dream. And this is why it's significant because Jesus is coming. Yeshua is coming. And so I, I want you to understand, you're like, I don't get it, it's okay. But go after Jesus and I promise you, you will. Say, God, share with me the things that are on your heart. And he goes, I will. <laughs> I love it. I want to read this verse. This is Paul's great, you know, a climax of Romans 11, where he says this. I do not, and he's writing this to the Romans. And he says, I do not desire, brethren, that you should be ignorant of this mystery. All right? And, and there are several mysteries. The mystery is the mystery in Christ. It was hidden in the heart of God. But when Jesus came and when Jesus died and resurrected, there were certain mysteries that had been hidden that God began to make known through his apostles, through Paul and Peter and John. And through that early church, there were things hidden in the heart of God that had to wait till Jesus died and resurrected. And one of those mysteries, I mean, you have several mysteries. You have the mystery of the resurrection. You have the mystery of Christ in you, the hope of glory. The mystery of Jew and Gentile becoming one new man. The mystery of, there's several mysteries, but I want to go into this one. I don't desire that you would be ignorant of this mystery lest you should be wise in your own opinion. See, this is what happened if you don't know what's in the heart of God. You get arrogant and you get ignorant. If you think this is all about you, your ignorance breeds arrogance. And your arrogance breeds resistance. Passive resistance. And then passive resistance breeds aggressive resistance to the plans of God. He goes, this is what happens if you're ignorant, lest you be wise in your own opinion. Here it is. That blindness in part, everybody say in part, in part. has happened to Israel. For the last 2,000 years, there has been a partial blindness over the nation, over the people. There has been an increasing number of Jews coming to Messiah over the last century. There's been an explosion of it. But for the last 2,000 years, there's been a partial blindness because their, their eyesight is connected to, look at this, until. Everybody say until. until. Say it again. Until. Say it one more time. Until. The fullness of the Gentiles has come in. So their breakthrough is contingent on our breakthrough. And our breakthrough is contingent on their breakthrough. It's about the great needing of one another and God's great storyline at the end of the age. He goes, blindness in part has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. Guys, I want you to know we are being positioned for an hour of fullness, a fullness of number, a fullness of maturity, a fullness of unity, a fullness of power, a fullness of time. There's fullness that's coming. John 17, fullness. And look at this next verse. And when the fullness of the Gentiles has come in, look at verse 20, verse 26. And so, look at this, all Israel will be saved. Do you see it? Do you see that verse? You're like, I don't know what to do with it. But there it is. Everybody say all. all. Say all. all. I looked it up, it means all. All Israel will be saved as it is written. The deliverer will come out of Zion and he will turn away ungodliness from Jacob. Verse 27, this is my covenant with them when I take away their sins. That's where this thing is going and their salvation, their faith in Yeshua is going to release what Paul earlier says in Romans 11, life from the dead for the whole world. <laughs> life from the dead for the whole world, which is going to inaugurate that millennial kingdom with Jesus back on the earth 
and the glory of God filling every tribe, tongue, people, and nation. Okay, I just want that in your framework now. Now we can go on a journey because do you know that the Bible doesn't start in Matthew? Do you know the Bible doesn't start in John? It don't start in Acts. We got to go on back. See, there's devils out there today and there's lying spirits that have separated and said, well, the Old Testament doesn't mean anything anymore. You don't need to focus on that stuff. We're free, hallelujah. You need to understand that you and I are getting in on the last scene of a 6,000-year storyline. And that if you don't understand the beginning of where this thing began, then you're ignorant. You're going to get into ignorance and arrogance and you won't understand your purpose. We got to go on back. Everybody say go back. I want to make a couple of statements here. Number one, the church has not replaced Israel. Let me just shoot that thing in the head. We have not replaced Israel. Number two, it doesn't begin in Matthew, but it begins in Genesis. Israel's primary calling is to lead the nations in diffusing the knowledge of God to every tribe, tongue, people, and nation. Let's go on back. Everybody look with me in Genesis 3.15. I'm going to run through some verses here. I hope you can run. You got your running shoes on? I'm so excited, guys. I'm so excited. Let's go ahead and put Genesis 3.15 right from the very beginning. Our original mother and father, Adam and Eve, done messed up in the beginning. They ate the forbidden fruit and the Lord walks in and the Lord's, he's going to speak and he's going to release this word to Satan. And he goes this, from the very beginning, from the very fall, he says, I'm going to put enmity between you, Satan, and the woman. And the woman is Eve. And he says, I'm going to put enmity or warfare between your seed, Satan's seed, and her seed. Now, Paul will later define that seed of Abraham. It's Jesus he between your seed and her seed. Look at this. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Who's that sound like right there? Sounds like Jesus. In the garden, from the very beginning, the Lord says, I want you to know, Satan, you won round one, but I want you to look at this little girl. Come on, women. Come on, women. Whenever, I mean, that's a whole nother thing. I mean, we, we need to talk about. He goes, I want you to see you won round one, but I want you to know there's going to come a seed through this woman. And that seed is going to crush your head. You will bruise his heel, but he'll crush your head. I love Hebrews too. It says through death, he destroyed him who had the power of death and released those who through the fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. He killed death through death. And from this moment, that is what's called the mother prophecy. That prophecy is going to drive the next several thousand years leading up to the coming of Jesus. And what is powerful is that God will begin to bring forth this storyline. Right after this, they have Cain and Abel. Cain rises up, kills Abel. And then they have another son and they name him Seth. And it says this, because the Lord has appointed another seed for us. And you're going to see the storyline of Genesis begin to unfold. We're going to see the story of Noah and the, and the flood. We're going to see Noah come out with his sons. After the flood, he's going to plant a vineyard. He's going to get a little tipsy in the vineyard. And he's going, to, he's going to get drunk and he's going to get knocked out one night. But one of his sons, Ham, walks in and does a defiling thing to his dad and comes back to the other brothers, Shem and Japheth, and tells them what they did to them. And then it says that Shem and Japheth, because of what he did, they took a blanket and they walked in backwards and they covered their dad so that they would not see their dad in that drunken, vulnerable state. And they covered their dad. 
Now, I could preach on that about honoring. We could talk about how, what to do and how to honor. But they walked in backwards. And because they walked in backwards, God's going to release blessings on Shem and Japheth and curses on Ham that will play out for generations. You'll then see in Genesis 11, the story of Babel, the ancient roots of Babylon, where they tried to build a city in the land of Shinar, and they tried to build this city. Everybody was in one language, and they're trying to build this city that's going to connect up to God. A lot of people just think they're trying to build a tall city. What they're trying to do is they're trying to invite the demonic realm to be in released into the earth. It's a demonic portal they're seeking to do, but you know what God does at Babel? He shows up, he scatters the languages of the nations, and he scatters all the nations. And now the question stands, how is God going to redeem the nations? How is God going to redeem the earth? We know there's a seed coming. For the seed to come, he's got to come through a certain family, through a certain man. He's got to come through a, through a certain lineage. And now enters the story, Abraham. Can you put Genesis 12 right up here? <laughs> You're like, man, he really meant it. We're going all the way back. The Lord shows up to Abram. He comes through the line of Shem. It says, now the Lord said to Abram, just shows up to this man. He's living in modern day Iraq, the Ur of the Chaldeans. The Lord shows up to him. This is what he says. Get out of your country. Get out. He goes, I want you to leave your family. I want you to, I want you to leave your father's house. And the Lord's going to release three blessings and three promises to Abraham right here. He says, I'm going to give you a land. Everybody say a land. That's why I believe this is a prophetic season for upper room because we're shifting into inheritance to a land that I will show you. Number two, I will make you a great nation. So he tells Abraham, I got land for you and I'm going to make you a great nation. And the inference of a great nation is I'm going to make you a righteous nation. Because it's righteousness that exalts a nation. I will make you a great nation. He says, I will bless you and I will make your name great and you shall be a blessing. Look at this. I'm going to make you he goes, I will bless those who bless you and I will curse him who curses you. Which means I'm gonna make you the litmus test and to the ones who submit to my sovereign election of you, they're gonna experience blessing. But to the ones that curse my sovereign election in you, they'll be cursed. How they treat you is, is what's gonna result in how I treat them which means you need to tread lightly when dealing with Abraham. You need to tread lightly. And then he says this. Here's the last one. He goes, in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. From the very beginning, we know that the promise made to Abraham is going to touch every tribe, tongue, people, and nation. We're in this room because of that promise right there. In you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. And I want to just state these three promises made to Abraham again. Number one, a land. Number two, righteousness. And number three, in you, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. We are going to see those three promises manifested in real time, in real space. What I love about Israel, it's not so much just about Israel. It's actually when you get into this, you get a revelation of God. Because God doesn't lie. And when God makes promises, he always fulfills them. And if God can keep his promise to Abraham, he can keep his promise to you. Go with me to Genesis 15. We're about to have fun. Well, the question now stands, Abraham's about 100, his wife Sarah is 90, and this is the thing, we always love to talk about Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, but what about Sarah, Rebecca, and Rachel? 
and how all three were barren and how God brought forth promise through barrenness. That's why women, nations, and Israel are intricately connected right here. And how God's going to bring forth promises through barren wombs. And this is going to be the foundation of our faith that God can do impossible things like opening up barren wombs. Because that's the contention. God makes a promise with Abraham and Abraham's like, man, I'm 100, she's 90. Things ain't working anymore. <laughs> and I love God for doing it this way. He doesn't show up with just somebody that can normally have kids, but he's going to say, I'm going to manifest through impossible, impossible situations. So now the, the contention is going to come up. God, how are you going to do this? You say big promises. How? After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abram. I'm your shield, your exceedingly great reward. Verse two, Abram said, Lord God, what will you give me seeing I go childless? And the only one in my house is Eleazar of Damascus. Then Abram said, look, you've given me no offspring. The one in my house isn't my hair. He's the only one that's going to get everything I got. Look at the next verse. Behold, the word of the Lord came to him saying, this one shall not be your heir, but one will come from your own body shall be your heir. Then he, oh, get your seatbelt on. <laughs> then he brought him outside. So the Lord, and I'm convinced this is pre-incarnate Jesus, walks him right on outside and says, we're gonna, we're gonna look at the stars together, buddy. Walks him right outside and says, look now towards heaven and count the stars if you're able to number them. Can you count them? One, two, he goes, I've ran out of count. He goes, if you can number them, and he said to him, so shall your descendants be. He says, I want you to know there's gonna come more offspring through Sarah's barren womb than the stars in the sky. And here is possibly the greatest verse in the Bible. Verse, next verse, and he believed in the Lord and he accounted it to him for righteousness. Abraham believed God at that moment. He was still Gentile, still uncircumcised. And in that moment, that's why he is the father of faith. That's why he's the father of our faith. Because in that moment, he believed, he took God at his word. He took God at his word and he said, God, I don't know how you're going to do it, but I believe you're going to do it. I don't see the way you're going to do it, but I know you're going to do it. And in that moment, there was a divine transaction. He believed God and righteousness, righteousness was imparted and imputed to Abraham at that moment. Oh, it's about to get good. Verse seven, he brought him, he said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out of the earth. Now here it is, verse eight. And he said, Lord God, how shall I know that I will inherit it? I like Abraham asking the question, God, how, how do I know you're gonna do this? And the Lord's going to enter into covenant with Abraham. And he's now going to enter in. And this is what I would call one of the hinge verses and covenants in all of the word of God. There's hinges on a door. These are one of the hinges. He said, how, and so the Lord's going to enter into covenant with them. And in the ancient world, he says, bring me a three-year-old heifer, three-year-old female goat, three-year-old ram, a turtle dove, and a pigeon. And he brought all these to him and he cut them in two. Everybody say, he cut them in two. All right, so let's just picture this. All right, so he's going to take, he's going to take a heifer, cut it in half. I don't know, I need something else over here. He's going to take a, a goat, cut it in half. And he's going to take this and cut it in half. We'll just leave him there. Don't want to mess up the sound thing. Then we got a turtle dove and a pigeon over here. All right. There we go. So you're, God's about to enter in to an ancient ceremony covenant now with Abraham. And a covenant is that binding contract. It's that binding connection of two parties that enter into covenant. And this is the point of cutting the animals in two, because if one of the two parties don't fulfill their terms in the covenant, then they'll be cut in half like these animals. 
So what they're saying when they enter into the covenant, may I be cut in two just like these animals. So the natural thing is that God would make covenant. They'd both meet in the middle. Abraham would walk to the center. God would walk to the center and they would bind hands and they'd make covenant with one another. But that's not how this went down. He brought all these to him and he placed each. So he did what he asked. Next verse. So apparently there was amount of time that went by. And when the vultures came down on the carcasses, Abram drove them away. So you got, you know, the vultures are coming down. He's spreading them out, spreading them out. Next verse. Now, when the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell upon Abram. He's sitting there all ready for the covenant, ready for God to show up. Then all of a sudden, the Lord puts, it down, puts him down. A deep sleep falls on him. And all of a sudden, he starts going into a, an encounter. It's a, it's a horrifying encounter. Great horror and great darkness fell upon him. He goes into this encounter and, and the Lord began to prophesy to him about Egypt and your descendants that are going to go into Egypt and how the Lord's going to bring them out later with great possessions. Verse 14. Verse 15. He goes, you're going to go. Go ahead, keep going. Verse 16 and then verse 17. Here we go. And it came to pass when the sun went down and it was dark. Remember, Abraham's asleep. That behold, there appeared a smoking oven and a burning torch that passed between those pieces. Abraham's asleep and a burning oven and a smoking torch appeared. <laughs> On the same day, the Lord made covenant with Abram saying, to your descendants, I have given this land. From the river of Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates, and he's going to go on and on and on. See, so you've got to have two parties to enter into a covenant. But the Lord wanted to make a point by making it clear that, Abraham, I'm making an unconditional covenant with you. I am making a covenant with you that when even you're unable to fulfill the requirements based on it, I'm going to do it. And that even your, your righteous not, righteousness not being where it needs to be in your descendants, I want you to know I'm going to do it. If this was conditional, which the Mosaic was a conditional covenant, this is unconditional. Abraham was asleep. Who was the smoking oven and the burning torch? It's the father and the son. God made covenant with God that he was going to do this and fulfill the land, the righteousness, and the promise. And we would see later on that the one that's coming through Abraham would be torn in two as God made covenant with God at Calvary. <laughs> like I said, this is a 30-year journey. It's a 30-year journey. But what do you do with it when God makes covenant and God would be done away with Israel if Abraham was wide awake? But he wasn't. It sets the motion of Abraham in this reality of this covenant. You're going to see Abraham's grandson, Jacob. Can you put Genesis 28, 11 up here? Oh, we're getting connected to a deep story here, guys. Jacob, the deceiver, the trickster, stole his brother's birthright, and he's running out of town. So he came to a certain place and stayed there all night because the sun had set, and he took one of the stones of that place and put it at his head, and he laid down in that place to sleep. Everybody say, Jacob was asleep. Then he dreamed, and behold, a ladder was set up on the earth and the top reached to heaven and there the angels of God were ascending and descending upon it. 
And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord God of Abraham, your father, Isaac, the land on which you lie, I will give to you and your descendants. Also your descendants shall be as the dust of the earth and you shall spread abroad to the west, east, north, and south. And in you and in your seed, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. He's reaffirming the Abrahamic covenant. And I love it because Jacob was asleep. You got this storyline of covenants. That's how God relates with Israel and the nations, the covenant of Abraham towards the end of Jacob's life in Genesis 49, he's going to prophesy over all of his boys and he's going to speak over Judah. He says that the scepter shall not depart from Judah. He says there's going to come a kingdom through Judah. Hold that. So God's, God, now we're beginning to get clarity about the bringing forth of the seed, the bringing forth of the man. And we now know that he's going to be a king. Can we look at 2 Samuel 7? And I'm just doing 30,000 kind of, look at that mountain peak, look at that mountain peak, look at that mountain peak. And, and it, we're surveying the land and surveying the story. 2 Samuel 7, well, the Lord's going to find his king out of the tribe of Judah. What I love about David is that David got all of his promises fulfilled in God. But he still was connected that God ain't got all of his promises fulfilled yet. See, that's the true heart of God right there is when, Lord, I thank you for everything you've done for me, but what about you? That's what true intercessors do. That's what true friends do. They go, God, it's not just, not, I want more than just everything I get from you. God, I want you to get something from me. I want your name and your fame and your glory. I want things that you spoke to happen. And David does the most outrageous thing. He's finally got all of his promises. He's king over all of Israel. And he's going to say, God, and he looks at the prophet. He's just hanging out with Nathan. He goes, Nathan, why am I sitting in this fat house and God's out there in a tent? That ain't okay. Nathan goes, dude, you're on a roll. Do whatever you want. He goes, dude, you're killing it, man. You're doing awesome. Well, that night, oh, get your seatbelt on. This is the second hinge of our door. This is the second hinge of our door. Go ahead and go with me. Next. Next verse. Next verse. And it happened that night that the word of the Lord came to Nathan. Let's run. Verse five. Go and tell my servant David, thus says the Lord, would you build a house for me to dwell in? For years, I read it like God was saying, why are you asking? But the Lord spoke to me one day. It's not so much would you, it it's the Lord saying, you mean you would? You mean this is in your heart? You want to give me something I've never articulated before? Thus says the Lord, would you build? He goes, I haven't dwelt in a house since the time I brought the children of Israel up, even to this day, but I've moved about in a tent and a tabernacle. Verse seven, wherever I moved about, have I ever asked anybody, why have you not built me a house? Verse eight, now therefore, thus you shall say to my servant David, Thus says the Lord of hosts, I took you from the sheepfold. I knew you when nobody knew your name. When you were just singing love songs to me on the backsides of the hills of Bethlehem, I knew you and I called you to myself. You're the king after my own heart. It was all about me. You had more fear of God than fear of man like Saul. He goes, I took you from the sheepfold, from following the sheep, to be ruler over my people of Israel. Verse 9, get your seatbelt on. I have been with you wherever you have gone. I've cut off all your enemies, and I've made you a great name, like the name of the great men are on the earth. Verse 10. Moreover, I'm going to appoint a place for my people Israel. I will plant them, that they may dwell in a place of their own and move no more, nor shall the sons of wickedness oppress them anymore. Verse 11. Since the time I commanded, Judges to be over my people, and I've caused you to rest from all your, here it is. Also, the Lord tells you that he will make you a house. No, no. It says it casually, but that verse needs to be italicized, bold print, a million font. Oh, you want to build me a house? I've been holding on to this ace card called, Who is the Messiah's line going to come through? 
What king? We know he's going to come from Judah, but I've been waiting for the one that would do it according to my heart and my way. And the very fact that this thing is in your heart, I've been holding on to an ace card called whose line and whose throne is going to live forever. And David, because this is in your heart, I want you to know my son is going to become your son and your house is going to live forever. And Messiah is going to sit on your throne and the throne of David will live forever. The throne of David will live forever. I'm going to make you, he turns the tables on him. And this is what God will always do for the man or the woman that says, God, I want to be about fulfilling your dreams. See, we've turned Christianity is coming to sugar daddy, getting all of our needs met. And he says, I'm looking for a generation that gets a bigger vision than what I can do for them. But I want to be the answer to your dreams, God. And he says to the ones that want to be about my dreams, I'll take care of your house. I'll take care of your house. I'll take care of your lineage. I'll take care of the money. I'll take care of your destiny. Get delivered from your destiny and get caught up in mine. I'm going to build you a house. That's the shift. He tells him, I'm going to make you a house. Let's just keep going. I got to wind this thing down. I got so much to talk about. He goes, I'm going to set up your seat after you who will come from your body. In the near, it's Solomon. But in the far, it's Jesus. He shall build a house for my name. Oh, get your seatbelt on in the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be his father. He shall be my son. Verse 15. But my mercy shall not depart from him as I took it from Saul. Whom, verse 16. And your house and your kingdom shall be established forever. Your throne shall be established forever. Verse 17. I like 18. This is what I do when you get words like this. Who in the heck am I? I know me. And God, I know that you know me. And because of the Bible, all of history knows David's story. Jacked up man gets the most precious thing in the heart of God. His throne's going to live forever. His throne's going to live forever in a real geographic plot of land on the earth. In a real geographic plot of land on this earth. Psalm 132, I have chosen Zion. This is my dwelling place forever. Here I will dwell, for I have desired it. Jesus is going to rule over the nations of the earth from Mount Zion. He is going to rule as the righteous son of David. <laughs> we need our Wayland women to come forward. Come on, somebody. Let's push this thing through, prophetic midwives. Well, we've got the third hinge. I want to hit. I've got to land this thing. The new covenant. The new covenant is a, it, it's a furthering along the line. It's the Abrahamic and the Davidic, and it's securing it. It's securing the promises that God made to Abraham and David. It's not removing it. We've been delivered from the mosaic of the law of sin and death. But God's promises to Abraham and David are secured in the new covenant. They are secured in the new covenant. We don't look back saying it don't matter anymore. No, we enter into the generational thrust of the storyline and we turn our hearts to the salvation of Israel. The new covenant, let's run through some verses. Jeremiah 31, 31, 31, 31. Jesus, behold, the days are coming, says the Lord. I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. Keep going, go to the next one. But this is the covenant. Go to the next one. But this is the covenant I will make with them. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they shall be my people. Keep going. No more shall every man teach his neighbor and every man his brother saying, know the Lord, for they shall all know me from the least of them to the greatest of them. 
says the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquity and their sin I will remember no more. Put in Jeremiah 32, verse 40. I'm feeling it. <laughs> Jeremiah 32, 40. And I will make an everlasting covenant with them that I will not turn away from doing them good, but I will put my fear in their hearts so that they will not depart from me. Look at the next verse, just because it's fun. Yes, I will rejoice over them to do them good, and I will assuredly plant them in this land. With all my heart and with all my soul. With all my heart and all my soul. Look at Ezekiel 36, 26. Come on. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. You're going to do it. You're going to do it, Jesus. I want to give you a new heart and a new spirit within you. I'm going to take out the heart of stone out of your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. Look at the next verse. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and you will keep my judgments and do them. Then you shall dwell in the land. Most of us stop in verse 27. But he says this is about preparing you to inherit all the promises. A righteous nation in the land. All Israel shall be saved. All Israel shall be saved. See, what you and I have been grafted in for these last two, we've been grafted into the storyline. These wild olive branches have been plucked in, have been grafted into this storyline. And we're able to rejoice and live in the power of these realities now. We get to live in them now. But it's not just for us. It's so that we can labor, saying, Israel, you're Messiah. We're laboring for your Messiah. We get delivered from narcissism. We get delivered from American Christianity and we turn our hearts towards our older brother and contend for the blindness to be broken off of them. In the same way they bore the brunt of Satan for 2,000 years. So take us wild Gentiles and bring us into eternal life. Do you understand the, the brunt of Satan they bore? We talked about Esther and Purim last when When you have Satan's rage rise up to kill whole nations. Intercession. It's intercession. Intercession. The new covenant's coming. That's what the prophets are saying, saying, saying. And in the fullness of time, when God could not find a man, God became a man. And God took on flesh. He took on our form. And he was born. I love Matthew's genealogy. The son of Abraham, the son of David. Which means hinge, hinge, hinge. The door's swinging open. Jesus comes. Yeshua, he comes. Lives in hiddenness for 30 years. And then he merges, walks through the wilderness testing. And for the 40 years of rebellion in the wilderness, 40 days reverses the 40 years. And as God's perfect Israel, He's going to walk under every temptation of Satan and he was going to trust the Father through every step. We see those moments where Gentiles are getting brought in. The Syrophoenician woman, the Canaanite woman. God's given us glimpses. There's nations. He goes, Israel, you don't see. I'm going to go to a people that aren't even looking for me. I'm going to show up to a Samaritan woman who you call unclean. Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. I'm going to the Samaritans. And he comes and he gives his life. He offers his life. He pleads with Israel. He pleads with Jerusalem. And they don't want him. They reject him. The stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. We see this in Matthew 23, verse 37, right before. It's right in this season as we're celebrating where Jesus looks over Jerusalem and he weeps for her. And he says this, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, 
the one who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her. How often I wanted to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you were not willing because I came to gather the one who made covenant with Moses on Sinai, the one who passed between the torches with Abraham, the one who showed up to Jacob, the one who showed up to David, the one who showed up to the prophets is now in the flesh. And he's pleading with them. And he goes, you don't want me. He goes, I wanted to gather you, but you didn't want me. Verse 38. See, your house is left to you desolate. And then Jesus, and this is what we'll talk about next week. He says, for I say to you, you shall see me no more till you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. He goes, Israel, there is a time where I will walk through and you will receive me as your king. And I am boxing myself in that I'm not going to come and you won't see me until you receive me. Woo! Hosanna to the son of David. Hosanna to the son of David. Matthew 26, 28, Jesus in that upper room. He takes the bread. He takes the wine. Let's look at this, Matthew 26, 28. This is the blood of the new covenant. He goes, we're going to secure this thing. The devil, the dragon tried to kill the child. Tried to kill the woman, tried to kill the kid. But he got here. And the perfect life you could not live, he lived. And now he's offering up his blood for the new covenant. The devil thinks he's winning, but through death, I'm going to destroy him. And I'm going to fulfill every promise made to Abraham. Every promise, and I'm going to secure this thing. This is, the, this is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. And then Jesus says, you know what? I'm going on a fast. I say to you, I won't drink of the fruit of this vine from now on until I drink it with new with you in my father's kingdom. Well, you know what he did. He came and he offered himself for the sins of the world, for the sins of the house of Israel. For all the nations, all the sins of the world laid on his back, crushed by the Father, the chastisement for our peace laid upon him. By his stripes we are healed. His, our iniquities, our, our burdens, everything was laid upon him. And he bore it for us. We know this is going to play out in real time in Zechariah 12 when they look on him whom they pierced and they weep for him as one weeps for a firstborn. He offers himself, he dies, he resurrects, and he spends 40 days teaching those apostles. Can you put Acts 1, verse 6 up here? I'm almost done. I've got to leave right at noon. I've got to. So we're going we're gonna to have a, a landing about 30,000 feet. We're going to start making our way down, but it's going to have a little turbulence. But Now listen, everybody say 40 days. Jesus spent 40 days teaching. Greatest conference ever. Resurrected Jesus teaching. I don't, I, I slept like just five minutes. I'd have done my best to live on a little sleep. I want to pull from as much as I can give. But this is the thing that blows me away. This is what they asked at the end of the conference which gives us insight if Jesus was making it clear to Israel, well, we're done with you, Israel. We're now gonna do everything through the church. Then, he, then they would have never asked this question. Therefore, when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? Jesus could have corrected that a long time ago. And they're wanting to know, I have no doubts that he was teaching on Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel. He was teaching on David. He was teaching on the Pentateuch. He was laying out the storyline of Israel so that by the time he was done, they go, are you going to do it now? Are you going to do it now? And Jesus is going to correct their understanding, but he's not going to remove it. 
He's not going to remove it. He's going to position it to a future time saying God's now bringing, bringing in a mystery that's been kept secret. He says, it's not for you to know the times or the seasons. He goes, right now, this is what we're going to do. Look, next verse. You shall receive power when the Holy Spirit's come upon you and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem. Okay, that means Israel. Okay, how about Judea? Okay, Israel. Samaria, still Israel. And then he says, and to the end of the earth. He goes, now we're going to the nations. What's going to begin on the day of Pentecost, it's going to spread. And over the last 2,000 years, the gospel has been going to every tribe, tongue, people, and nation because of that outpouring on the day of Pentecost. And it's gone to every tribe, tongue, people, and nation. They're, they're, I mean, missiologists are landing at Bible in almost every language, gospel in every language. It's been going to every tribe. What began in an upper room, what began with a local outpouring has resulted in a global missions movement. But in the last days, God's raising up a global house of prayer that is focused on a local visitation to the nation of Israel. This is about ripping off the blinders. Keep this up here. He says, we're going to go. We're going to go. And this was so offensive to the Jewish mindset. They couldn't get their head around it. How are you going to do that? He goes, we're widening the body of God and they're going to provoke you and you're going to birth us all into fullness. And then you have the book of Acts. Acts 2, outpouring, bang. Acts 8, Samaria, bang. Acts 10, Cornelius to the Gentiles, bang. Acts 13, the church is now in Antioch as it moves from Jerusalem to Antioch and they're called Christians, bang. God lays hold of Saul who becomes Paul who's called to bring the gospel to the Gentiles to provoke Israel to jealousy, bang. Ephesus, bang. Thessalonica, bang. Corinth, bang. We're in this room because of the bang. And I got four minutes to talk about Romans. <laughs> Let's stop laughing. I got time here. Let's have the worship team come up here. Now you got to stick this with me. Put, can you put this? I, I want you to say, no, no, don't put it up there just yet. In 49, the emperor Claudius kicks out. So I had, Many people, there's lots of speculation about exactly when the church in Rome began. Many uh, speculate that, that there were a contingent of Jews there on the day of Pentecost that took it back to Rome. And so they had been building this congregation in Rome. And in around 49, and they had Gentile believers coming in, and that was the wrestle, is what to do with these Gentiles? Do we make them take on all the the Jewish uh, law and the, and the fulfilling of all this stuff. And there was lots of contention around what to do with the Gentiles. That's Acts 15. Well, in, in 49, the emperor kicks out all the Jews. And in 54, Nero invites them back in. And while they were away, you're now going to see the Romans, the Gentile predominant leadership is now leading the church. And you have Jews who have returned back to the land, back to, the, back to Rome, and Paul has an unspoken fear in the book of Romans, and it's, I don't want two congregations. Jesus died for one new man. Jesus died for the two to become one and the wall to be destroyed. And so that's what he does through the book of Romans is getting everybody, he's wanting the Gentiles to understand the glory of Israel, saying, guys, you need to tread lightly and not get ignorant nor be arrogant. And Israel, you need to understand, you're not superior because you're ethnicity. You all need each other and everybody's going to have to go low. Kind of sounds like Jesus. Can you put this up? Or I'm going to give you the book of Romans in about five seconds. We'll start next week with what I'm saying. Romans 1 through 3, Paul just levels the playing field. Everybody's guilty. You Jews in the law, you Gentiles outside the law, you're all jacked up and there's no righteousness. There's no righteousness in and of yourself. Romans four through five, 
Righteousness only comes through Jesus' death and resurrection. Abraham did it, Romans 4. Romans 6 and 7, you've been delivered from sin and you've been delivered from the law. And then Romans 8, he goes, we fulfill the law by the power of the Spirit. We walk in newness of life. We've been liberated from the law of sin and death and brought into the law of the Spirit of life. And he goes, but guys, this is not so you can have just a little party and hang out here. He then turns it in Romans 8, verse about 16. Can you put that up here? Oh, Jesus. <laughs> Romans 8, Spirit bears witness. It's awesome, it's awesome, it's awesome. Keep going. Keep one more verse. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. He's now going to begin to point us to a future day that you and I have received the first fruits of the Spirit, but that God has set into motion something that's going to culminate over the next 2,000 years. Now, they didn't know it was 2,000, but here we are in 2021 in that storyline, that great travail of the ages. As we're entering in now into this moment, and Paul's going to lay forth four groans. Verse 19, the earnest expectation of creation. Everybody say creation. Creation eagerly waits for the revealing of the sons of God. Verse 20, for creation was subjected to futility, not willingly. Next verse, creation will be delivered from the bondage of corruption. Next verse, whole creation groans. Everybody say groans and labors with birth pangs. Next verse. Not only that, but we who have the first fruits of the Spirit, we groan within ourselves. Do you know what's groaning on the inside of you? It's not more money, another job, more free time. You long to be delivered from this body of death and to be fully absorbed into God. So creation's groaning and I'm groaning and you're groaning. Verse 24, verse 25, verse 26. Spirit also helps. We don't know what we should pray for, but Spirit himself makes intercession for us with groanings. Groanings, which cannot be uttered talks about Jesus making intercession. Romans 8:34 he says Jesus is groaning at the right hand of the Father in intercession. Paul is going to deliver these Romans from fear. He's going to say heaven's in your corner. If God's for you, who can be against you? How shall he not freely give you all things? You've been delivered from who's condemning you? It's Christ who died who furthermore is risen, is at the right hand of God making intercession. He goes, I'm persuaded. <laughs> Go to verse 36. Oh, we're about to have fun. Verse 37, verse 38. Everybody say persuaded. Neither death, nor life, nor angels, principalities, powers, things present, things to come, height, depth, any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. That's the martyr's revelation right there. That's the martyr's revelation. A generation that gets set free from itself and is poured out like Jesus. Stand up. I'm going to give you Romans 9 verse 1. And this is Paul's groan. I tell the truth in Christ. I'm not lying. My conscience bearing me witness in the Holy Spirit. I have great sorrow and continual grief in my heart. For I could wish that I myself were accursed from Christ for my brethren, my countrymen according to the flesh. You know what Paul says? I ain't lying when I talk about there's nothing that can separate you. 
And there's something I've been crying out to God for. God, would you let me go to hell so Israel can get saved? Paul wanted to. That's what the love of God does. It doesn't build narcissistic, myoptic worlds. It liberates you from self-preservation. It delivers you from selfishness. It delivers you from your own ways and your own ideals. And it frees you. And you enter into the burden of Jesus to give Himself for those that are His. Just lift your hands. And Paul said he doesn't want us to be ignorant of this mystery. Father, I pray in the name of Jesus. I believe we're in a similar hour. Put up Exodus 2.23 and then I'm going to end and pray and go. Exodus 2.23. Here, This is the day we're in. Now it happened in the process of time. The king of Egypt died. Good. The children of Israel groaned. Everybody say groaned. Because of the bondage and they cried out and their cry came up to God. Because of the bondage. God heard their groaning. God remembered His covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and with Jacob. And God looked upon the children of Israel. And God acknowledged them. And then look at chapter 3, verse 1. Put it up here and then we're going to... Now Moses was tending the flock. <laughs> A burning bush! As God commissions Moses, let my people go. The greater Moses groan is awakening in the nations right now. God is awakening intercession. A hundred million intercessors. A hundred million set watchmen. 